0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox, here are today's top stories. The Trump legal team responds to a DOJ motion. They argue the government is making a mountain out of a molehill. The Biden administration warns that gas prices could spike again this winter. What's the reason behind this and your rising utility bills? Project Veritas releases another video, this time an English teacher says she references political violence when teaching her students how to plan effective protests. Border Patrol agents seize record amounts of fentanyl and meth in Arizona and Texas. What a former DEA agent in charge says can be done to fix the drug crisis. And Ukrainian forces reclaim a wide swath of territory from Russia in the Northeast. Could this signal a turning point in the war? (music) Officials are telling Americans to prepare to pay more for energy this winter. Utility bills continue to rise and now the Biden administration says another spike in gas prices is around the corner. Here's NTD's Melina Wisecup with the details.
1: The reason why this is possible according to what the Biden administration is saying is that after the European Union's drawdown on Russian oil imports uh, goes into effect later this year that would cause the global price of oil to spike again and that price spike would be seen here at our gas pumps. So the question is how do we avoid this from happening or at least lessen its impacts while many Republicans or those who support domestic energy production would say the answer is to just drill more here in the U.S. and increase our domestic supply of Oil, but the Biden administration has a different game plan. Let's listen.
2: Our price cap proposal is designed to both um, lower Russian revenues that they use to support their economy and fight this illegal war, um, while also maintaining Russian oil supplies that will help to um, hold down global oil prices.
1: The U.S., along with other nations in G7, agreed to cap the price of Russian oil with hopes of stabilizing global oil prices. How effective will it be?
3: I've heard the plan, and I'm really a little confused. That would be like me saying, I want to buy your house, but I'm only going to pay you this much." Russia is still the seller. And so our dictating, well, we won't pay more than that. Their, Their simple answer is, well, we won't sell to you.
1: In addition to gas prices, officials are telling Americans to prepare to pay more for your utility bills in the winter and into next year. But natural gas production is going up.
3: Notably, our in-ground storage has caught up and production has come up significantly. So I think that those stratospheric levels aren't gonna be achieved, but when they compare their energy bills this year to their energy bills last year, they're gonna notice a profound difference.
1: The good news is that natural gas prices are not expected to go up as much as we previously thought a couple of months ago, but federal officials and experts are still telling Americans they should expect to see higher
0: utility bills this winter. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. President Biden signed an executive order today to boost biotechnology in the U.S. The White House says it's an effort to compete with China and reduce reliance on other countries.
4: President Biden signs an executive order today to boost the country's biotechnology industry. And that covers everything from pharmaceutical manufacturing to biomass fuels. The initiative, Biden says, will help combat cancer.
3: But it's not enough to invent technologies to save lives. We need to manufacture advanced
4: biotechnologies here in the United States. What also prompted Monday's move was China, The White House says China is, quote, "...aggressively investing in the biotechnology sector, which poses risk to U.S. leadership and competitiveness." And Biden said at an event in Boston on Monday... Today's action is
3: going to ensure that America leads the world in
4: biotechnology
3: so we don't have to rely on anywhere else in the world. Here in America it will be made.
4: China dominates the global production of active pharmaceutical ingredients for generic drugs. And U.S. lawmakers have flagged that as a national security risk. Meanwhile, Biden signed an executive order last month to boost domestic chip production, also aimed at competing with China.
3: Folks in China and others think we're a spent economy.
4: And earlier on Monday, Biden touted the bipartisan infrastructure law at Boston's Logan International Airport, which is getting millions of dollars in federal funding to upgrade its international terminal.
3: WE RISK LOSING OUR EDGE AS A NATION TO CHINA AND TO THE REST OF THE WORLD'S CATCHING UP. THAT STOPS NOW WITH INVESTMENTS LIKE WE'RE CELEBRATING HERE TODAY.
4: BIDEN IS EXPECTED TO HOST A BIOTECHNOLOGY SUMMIT LATER THIS WEEK, AT WHICH HE COULD DISCLOSE EXACTLY HOW MUCH MONEY WILL GO TOWARD THE LATEST INITIATIVE.
0: TRUMP'S TEAM RESPONDS TO THE LATEST MOVE BY THE DOJ. THEY SAY THE DEPARTMENT SHOULDN'T BE ALLOWED TO KEEP REVIEWING THE SEIZED DOCUMENTS. NTD's Arlene Richards gives us that update and other developments.
2: Monday, former President Trump's legal team responded to the Justice Department's partial appeal of Judge Eileen Cannon's ruling to appoint a special master. That's the third party who would review the materials from the FBI raid to filter out privileged information. The DOJ is asking the judge to permit the criminal investigation to go on and not require them to give classified documents to the special master. Trump's team says, at its core, this is a document storage dispute that has spiraled out of control, and that the government wrongly seeks to criminalize the possession by the 45th president of his own presidential and personal records. The team believes a special master is needed to first decide whether or not certain records are classified. The government argued that preventing them from using the classified files causes immediate serious harms to the government and the public. Some commentators said the judge's ruling threatens national security. Law professor Seth Tillman said this judge isn't focused on politics or national issues. She's there to get the discovery moving.
5: From the point of view of a district court judge who is managing anywhere between 200 and 700 cases that will be heard in front of the judge in motion practice or full length trials, just another motion on discovery is not necessarily the sort of thing that will occupy the judge's infinite attention. If the government wants to clean it up after the fact, the government has an opportunity to do what they're doing now, which is to bring another motion to explain to the judge where they think the law is.
2: He thinks commentators can be quick to jump to conclusions.
5: Some people are really interested in the result and are quick to believe that other people have bad motives, don't understand their job, uh, or aren't particularly smart, or even worse, politically motivated. Usually, this has nothing to do with
2: it. On Friday, both parties submitted their proposals for the special master. The Justice Department nominated Barbara S. Jones, a retired district court judge appointed by former President Clinton. She served as special master in the case involving the FBI searching homes of Project Veritas employees. And Thomas B. Griffith, a former appellate judge in the D.C. Circuit, appointed by George W. Bush. Trump's team nominated Raymond J. Deary, a former FISA court judge. He also served as a district court judge appointed by Ronald Reagan. And Paul Huck, Jr., a former Jones Day attorney who previously served as deputy attorney general of Florida. Tillman said any of the candidates can handle the job. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York.
0: But earlier today, Trump's lawyers filed a motion objecting to the special master candidates proposed by the Justice Department. They didn't give specific reasons, writing that it's, quote, more respectful to the candidates not to. And in Arizona and Texas, Border Patrol agents say they've recently seized record amounts of meth and fentanyl. And that's after July seizures of fentanyl at the southern border jumped nearly 200%. Earlier today, I spoke with former Drug Enforcement Administration agent in charge, Derek Maltz, for his take on the latest numbers. Derek Maltz, welcome to our show. Thank you for joining us.
6: Thank you for having me.
0: Border Patrol agents say they're seizing record amounts of fentanyl and methamphetamine in Arizona and Texas. How bad is the crisis right now?
6: The crisis is very bad, and my hat goes off to the brave men and women in front lines and law enforcement, but you gotta remember, they're not only seizing it at the border, we're, we're making record-breaking seizures in America, like a couple weeks ago, last week, in New Mexico, historic-level seizure. Over a million pills of fentanyl, 4 million in cash, 140 pounds of fentanyl, 37 firearms, and they locked up a whole cell. FBI working with DEA, state and local agencies. Plus, we had a million pills seized uh, early August uh, coming in, and then another million pills that were seized in the middle of uh, August by Border Patrol and CBP. So they're doing tremendous work but we're getting flooded with this poisonous substance in our country. So that's why we need an Operation Warp Speed to shut it down in Mexico.
0: Over the weekend, Vice President Kamala Harris said the border is secure, but it's clear that drugs are still flowing into the U.S. What kind of a message do you think her remarks are sending?
6: Well, first of all, they've been sending mixed messages from day one. That's why we have a disaster and a nightmare at the border. Look at the DHS secretary, Mayorkas, tells the American public in Congress how he has operational control of the border. When you talk to the people on the Border Patrol, and I was there in Arizona, and I was there in Texas, and you get a really good view and you get good intelligence from talking to the people on the ground, they've never seen the historic amounts of people coming in, and they're released into the country. They're put on planes, they're put on buses, and they're coming to a city near everybody on this that's watching the show. It's not just at the border. What's happening at the border is a nationwide crisis and will continue to get worse.
0: When President Trump was in office, he wanted to introduce the death penalty for traffickers of fentanyl and other opioids. What's your take on this approach?
6: Well, I literally have been saying we need to declare the Mexican cartels as terrorists over four years ago. I'm in the state of Ohio right now. I testified in Congress uh, and they voted almost unanimously to, to declare the cartels as terrorists and treat them like terrorists. If we had al-Qaeda or ISIS producing chemical weapons in Mexico, what would we do? Sit back and let it happen? No, we destroy the processing. Well, right now we have another dynamic which people don't even talk about. Chinese criminals are helping facilitate not only with the chemicals to make the fentanyl, but with the money laundering services all over America. They're using Chinese students to pick up cash all over this country to deliver the money to Chinese business guys who are buying property, buying land, real estate, and it's helping the cartels get their money. So they're providing the cartels with the chemicals and providing the services for the money laundering. So guess what? This is a huge national security threat to every American.
0: And what do you think should be done?
6: Well, I think we need to first treat it like a very serious national security crisis. This isn't grandpa's opioid crisis. The talking points from 15 years ago need to be updated from the White House. This is a poisoning against our kids, killing our future generation. We have to go after the production labs. We have to shut down the chemical flow from China, and we have to help shut down the money laundering services that the Chinese criminals are providing to the cartels. But most importantly, we have to educate the middle school, the elementary school kids, Right now, we're teaching our kids uh, critical race theory in our schools, but we can't teach them about fentanyl, this poisoning. We've never had this in the history of the country. It's a disgrace. And everyone in the administration needs to be held accountable, especially with the midterms coming up and after the midterms. But the truth be told, this is not even a red or a blue issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue because it's impacting all Americans from all backgrounds, all races, all economic classes. That's the disgrace. As a matter of fact, in Ohio, Tim Ryan, a Democrat, along with Lauren Boebert from Colorado, they want to declare it a weapon of mass destruction. There's a resolution in Congress. And the Families Against Fentanyl have been pushing that. So hopefully, we could see some action and start treating it like a national security threat.
0: All right, Derek Maltz, former DEA agent in charge, thank you so much for your time.
6: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Project Veritas is at it again. This time, a teacher says she instructs students on how to protest and gives examples of political violence. NTD's Jason Perry has that story.
7: Project Veritas has now released its fourth video in a series called The Secret Curriculum. I might like my kids, we don't stand up for the kids. New York City middle school teacher Arianne Franco explains how she and her students changed the words to the Pledge of Allegiance because she said it didn't include them. And
8: she said, I'm living a justice for all, and we will fight until that is true.
7: The English teacher also explained how she spent two months teaching her students about protests, including how to organize and even how to strategize protests. And she cited violent protests as an example to illustrate her point.
8: Um and I brought up like crazy like organizations that have done this. Like yeah. they chose which places to throw books through. Yeah. They didn't it to the you know, to the black about brown community. Yeah. But at the beginning of that, like, I can actually be yeah Yes.
7: Yeah. You know, and unfortunately uh, she's condoning this type of behavior by it trickling into the schools and onto other people's children. I spoke with Terrace Todd, who is the program manager for outreach at the Heritage Foundation. It's bad enough that we already have questions and concerns of what's being taught in our schools, but now that we find that you have individuals out there that are engaged in trying to influence our students. He offered some advice for parents um, and quite frankly, Make it for sure that when your children do leave your home, that they leave your home with a set of values and morals uh, that are solid. So that way, no matter if it's a teacher, administrator, bus driver, whoever else outside of your home is not able to influence them to go against what you've taught them at home. We reached out to the New York City Department of Education for comment, but we didn't hear back before airtime. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: And as California students head back to school, they may encounter books promoting transgender topics. The books are available for kids as young as preschool and kindergarten.
9: The California Department of Education's recommended reading list includes a section called Gender slash Sexuality. On that list, dozens of books on LGBT topics, transgenderism, and gender ideology are promoted for use in classrooms. Some of the books in the collection include Julian is a Mermaid, Love is Love, a story about gay relationships aimed at first graders, and I'm Not a Girl, a transgender story also aimed at first graders. In a statement to the Epic Times, Betsy McCaughey, an author and former New York lieutenant governor, said these books don't belong in our elementary schools. Gender dysphoria is an extremely rare affliction. Those who have it deserve our respect and sympathy, but telling all children about it is unnecessary, confusing to them, and hurtful. According to a June 2022 study by UCLA's Williams Institute, about 0.6% of the U.S. population over age 13, or about 1.6 million people, identify as transgender. A growing number of individuals known as detransitioners are leaving the transgender movement, often regretting permanent harm done to their bodies.
0: An LGBTQ club at a religious university. A New York court said the university has to accommodate the club, but the Supreme Court overruled that decision.
10: Yeshiva University is an orthodox Jewish university in New York and one of the oldest Jewish universities in the United States. The school's website says it's rooted in Jewish thought and tradition. A number of students tried to form a Pride Alliance Club, and they hoped the university would support them by letting them use facilities, among other things. When the university declined their request, the students sued them on the basis of New York's public accommodation law. The law prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation. The law doesn't apply to religious corporations, but the court didn't acknowledge the university to be officially religious. The school lost the case and was ordered to accommodate the student group. The university argued that requiring the Pride Alliance Club violates its First Amendment right allowing the free practice of religious beliefs. The New York court didn't agree. However, a few days ago on Friday, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor put a pause on the New York state court ruling, saying the university doesn't have to accommodate the club. Her ruling seemed to be only temporary and could still be changed in the future. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News.
0: Coming up in baseball, the Dodgers celebrated yesterday after what they thought was a playoff-clinching win. But NTD's Dave Martin reports that it's not so, as baseball has admitted a calculation error. And a group of university students in Texas honored victims of the 9-11 attack in a unique way. Find out more after the break. Ukraine said today that it took several more villages, pushing Russian forces right back to the northeastern border. Analysts suggest it could signal a turning point in the war.
8: Kyiv said on Monday its forces swept deeper into territory seized from fleeing Russian troops in the northeastern Kharkiv region. Ukraine's general staff said its soldiers had recaptured more than 20 towns and villages in just the past day. At the weekend, Ukrainian soldiers filmed themselves raising the country's flag in several towns previously occupied by Moscow. In what remained of Russian-held territory in Kharkiv region, the Russian-installed head of Moscow's occupation administration acknowledged that Ukraine's troops had broken through to the frontier. Vitaly Ganchev told Russia's state-owned Rossiya 24 television that about 5,000 civilians had escaped to Russia.
10: The situation is becoming more difficult by the day and by the hour and is escalating. I know that they've captured settlements in the north of the Kharkiv region and have closely approached the border.
8: Kiev's sudden momentum has lifted Ukrainian morale and comes after months of little discernible movement on the battlefield. It was not yet clear if Ukraine's latest blitz could signal a turning point in the war, though some analysts suggested it might be. While also cautioning, there would likely be months more fighting. Momentum has switched back and forth before. In its first reaction to the Ukrainian counteroffensive, offensive the Kremlin said on Monday that Russia will achieve the goal of its special military operation in Ukraine. On the same day, Russia's foreign minister said President Vladimir Putin is not opposed to negotiations with Ukraine.
0: And now over to sports news.
5: 19 year old tennis phenom Carlos Alcaraz, who won the US Open Sunday, has ascended to the top of the ATP rankings, becoming the youngest player ever to reach number one. Alcaraz replaces Daniel Medvedev, who lost in the fourth round of the US Open. Medvedev had held the top spot for a total of 16 weeks this year, alternating with Novak Djokovic. Djokovic, who spent more weeks all-time as the number one player, was unable to participate in the US Open due to his vaccination status. In addition, he missed the Australian Open for the same reason. And though he won Wimbledon, he and everyone else received no ranking points for their performance at the All England club as punishment from the tour for banning Russian and Belarusian players. In baseball news, the LA Dodgers, who have the best record in baseball, beat the San Diego Padres yesterday 11-2 in what they thought was a playoff-clinching victory. But after a night of celebration, Major League Baseball says they still need one more win after admitting an error in determining all the possible postseason scenarios. The unlikely situation that's still mathematically possible has LA losing their final 23 games and blowing their 20-game division lead over San Diego, while Milwaukee wins their final 21 contest to force a three-way tie with St. Louis as well at 96-66. and In that still possible scenario, Milwaukee would win the tiebreaker over St. Louis to take the division while the Cardinals would win the final wild card tiebreaker over the Dodgers based on their head-to-head results. All it takes, though, is one more win for the Dodgers to clinch their 10th straight postseason berth. They face the Diamondbacks tonight as part of Major League Baseball's eight-game schedule. Also on tap for this evening, Monday Night Football, as Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson will face his old team, the Seahawks, in Seattle. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph.
0: Thanks, Dave. And on Sunday, Americans across the nation remembered the 9-11 attacks. And a group of college students in Texas organized something extra special.
4: Exactly 21 years ago Sunday, a terrorist attack on the World Trade Center in New York City killed almost 3,000 Americans. The University of Houston chapter of the Young Conservatives of Texas wanted to unite Americans on the anniversary of 9 11. They invited government officials to come together on Sunday to remember the tragedy. Representative Kevin Brady spoke at the ceremony.
9: It was a shocking, heartbreaking, searing day, the deadliest attack on American soil in history. Those horrible images. Never fade from our
4: memory. Event organizers say that remembering the lives lost in the attack can unite all Americans, regardless of background or political affiliation.
1: You can see every color, every imaginal person is here tonight, today, and uh, just remembering that
4: awful day, but in a good spirited way.
7: It's something we have in common, it's, it's a scar in our nation's history.
4: After the ceremony, attendees walked to the 9-11 Memorial Monument on campus to plant flags representing the victims. The monument displays a part of the structural steel from the destroyed World Trade Tower. The chairman of the Young Conservatives of Texas shares why the event was important to him.
7: If there's anything 9-11 teaches us is that no matter how hard we're hit, as Americans, we're always going to pick ourselves up and fight forward.
4: We're going to keep it alive. We're going to keep that memory alive and make sure people remember it and know about it. HE SAYS THIS YEAR WAS THE FIRST TIME THEY HOSTED A MEMORIAL CEREMONY. THEY PLAN TO KEEP HOLDING EVENTS IN THE FUTURE WITH OTHER COLLEGE CHAPTERS IN
0: TEXAS. AND THAT'S ALL FOR TODAY'S NEWS. THANKS FOR TUNING IN. I'M Stephanie COX.